Good morning and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Faith, to the Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and... It's me, Liam. Good morning, Lyle. How are you this morning? I am fantastic this morning. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. And what are you thankful for this morning? Uh, well, it's actually not something that happened this morning. On the weekend, on, on Saturday, on Sabbath, I got to go and uh, catch up with a friend of mine that I haven't seen for a little while. And we went for a bit of a bushwalk and it was a great way to, to finish Sabbath. And we closed Sabbath, had a wonderful uh, evening and afternoon. And uh, yeah, it was really good. What are you thankful for? I am thankful that my oldest son got to come down and visit from Queensland. How good. Absolutely. So my theory is, Liam, if he can come this way, then you can probably go that way too. I could probably go back. Did he get back fine? Uh, yes, far as I know, <laughs> he hasn't. He hasn't said otherwise. Hasn't, I have not heard otherwise. Although he did leave late last night, so he may have stopped and slept on the way. So he he might uh, give he us might an update. Be, yeah, we'll, we'll get an update. You, he can be the guinea pig as to find out how he goes getting across the border. But he has a border pass, so it should be all right. What do you think will happen if he doesn't get through? Will he just sort of sit on the border and for a little while? And uh, yeah, there's uh, he'll probably he, well, yeah, no, he'll come back down here. For he'll sure. come back down. <laughs> he has motivation for being in this area. I see, I see. Lots of people have motivation like that, and it's it's always good to have motivations in it life. It is, it is. Um, but yes. Anyway, moving on. This morning, you're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, what's happening in uh, positively different news? Uh, well, by far the biggest positive news thing to come out of the weekend was the SpaceX launch. Absolutely, in America first yes. first in nine years, uh, first manned mission in nine years to launch on American soil. Um, so that was very exciting. Did you watch any of that? No, I, w- I woke up uh, bright and early yesterday morning at uh, five thirty to watch the launch. Awesome! And I woke up just after, uh, just before half past midnight this morning uh, to watch the docking. So it was very, very cool. That is amazing! Yeah. Fantastic stuff. Solving. And congratulations to uh, NASA and Elon of course, Musk. Elon Musk for their collaboration together to make that happen. And yeah, hopefully a new. A new age in new space travel, a new era. I'm looking forward to the time when space travel becomes a tourist thing. Do you think you're ever going to get to go to space? Not until the Lord comes, but you might <laughs> as a tourist. As a tourist? I believe that it could be, yeah, absolutely viable. Not too far away. I think space tourism, I, re- I you know, hey, I'm probably never going to be able to afford it, but <laughs> I would definitely do it if I could. It's uh, so it's something on the bucket list. It's probably like one of those things that's very optimistic. You're like, yeah, I'd like it, but in reality, it's not likely that we're going. <laughs> it's not likely. No. Um, anyway, so that was a that was definitely a very good news story coming out of the weekend. In other good news, something that's been it's actually sort of taken a while to to develop, and and it's been something that I've been following for quite a while now. But over in India, um, there was this there was this worker who lost his job. Uh, amidst the the coronavirus pandemic, and he was injured, he lost he lost his job, and he was trying to support his daughter, who was in school. Unfortunately, she had to drop out of school to take care of him. And they lived uh, about twelve hundred kilometres from their local village, and they didn't have any way to get back. Yes, fair distance. Yeah. So what uh, what this daughter decided to do was spend their last twenty dollars on a bike, and they rode. Well, over 1,200 kilometres from New Delhi 
in India to their village. And it was just a really inspirational story. Traveling over 150 kilometers each day, uh, getting money from, from just, just donations as they were going, uh, stopping at petrol stations to, to get some food. And when they got there, that the story sort of, it was developing and it broke. And the director, the, the, the president of the Cycling Federation of India reached out to this man's daughter and asked her to, to join the team. Fantastic. I know. And so we should have done. That's awesome. Yeah. What a great story. It was What an adventure. Oh, it'd be incredible. Just I mean, it'd be hard work. Oh yeah. Cuz it wasn't just this guy that he, that she was carrying. It was his luggage too. So, it was two people and their luggage. Uh one of one of those two people was injured, so he couldn't yeah, really do yeah, much. Yeah. All this ways. Oh, just an incredible incredible story. I tell you what, you'd be fit by the time you got there. If you, oh. if you weren't fit already when you left, you would be fit by the time you got there. Calves of steel she would have. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And um, on, on for the, to get back to New Delhi, for, to, to meet the president of the Cycling Federation of India. Oh, so he's back in New he's Delhi. He's back okay, in New Delhi. Right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. To get back there, he invited her on a train that's much more comfortable with, with a bit of air conditioning. Yeah, Indian <laughs> trains. Mm, oh, it's, it's debatable whether it is it's more debatable. comfortable than a bike seat, but you know. <laughs> she, w- she wouldn't be on it for as long. Oh, yeah, um, so the duration would be much no, more comfortable. It would be, it would be easier. Uh, before we move on this morning, one thing I wanted to catch something up from last week. My plant. Okay. My plant, naming it. Have yes. you thought of any names? No. I've thought of one. I have not thought of your plant. <laughs> How thoughtless am I? Never well, even entered my head. <laughs> well, I, I think of it every time. I, I forgot about it too, actually. I, um, last night I walked in and uh, I, I realised, hey, I haven't watered this for a little while. Better just sprinkle some water on it so it was all good. But I've thought of a name. I'm not, I'm not sold on it yet. It's just a potential name. Sebastian. Sebastian the plant. Sebastian the, um, the what's it called? The, 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 the succ- Sebastian the succulent. Okay. That's what I'm going with at the moment. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not sold. Okay. So if you've got, if you've got any, any suggestions at all, give us a call at 1-800-324-843. I'm more than happy to, uh, to take your suggestions, whatever it may be. Well, I came up with a name for my cactus. What did you come up with it? I'm going to call it Greg. Greg? Greg. Nicely done. Any yeah, particular Greg. reason? No. No? You, Absolutely no reason at all. Just you Greg. just looked at it and you're like... Greg. That's Greg. That's a Greg. Definitely. I can see My cactus Greg. is called Greg from now on. Do you know I anyone... I came up with that just now. Do you know anyone named Greg? No. No? Oh, I probably do, probably yeah. Probably do. So just... I wonder whether they're a prickly person. I, <laughs> so the only reason why I've chosen it is because it's a name that you're like, that's a good one. I just just because it was random. I think that's a, that's a really good way to come up with names. That's how I came up with a lot of my names when I was younger. Um, but yeah, moving on to one last story uh, this morning. So in America, there's been there's been the um, all the, the the graduates. They've come time for their graduations, yes. and there's been countless different tributes done by many many different people. And one that one that struck out to me over the weekend was there's this one lady that uh, she babysits or, or, or looks after. Uh, a seven-year-old, a little seven-year-old girl. And what this little girl has decided to do, to do for her babysitter is throw her her own graduation. Ah, so awesome. during during the pandemic, she's still been coming and taking care of, and, and obviously they've been bonding and, you know, getting a, the, the babysitter relationship as you do. And so, yeah, that was just uh, 
a very good story. And and, congr- and coming back to the SpaceX story, actually, they actually pay tribute to the graduation, the graduates as well. Whether you were graduating kindy, primary school, or high school, or, or not. I don't think they call it that over there. They call it different things. But whether, regardless of what you were graduating, they got all the pictures um, from around America and made like this beautiful mosaic out of all those pictures. And from memory, I think they, they even printed it off and put it inside the, uh, the, the capsule. There you go. So, yeah. We can't really go past dealing with serious news subjects this morning without talking about the race riots in America. And I just want to say that the most devastating thing about the race rights that is taking place right now is the amazing opportunity that the tragic circumstances of the death of George Floyd gave to the African-American community to make a difference and how tragically they have now blown that opportunity. This was just an opportunity wasted and the whirlwind that the African community, African-American community in America will reap as a result of this is going to last for generations to come. Without a doubt. They are sowing hatred within the country. They are sowing division. And there is, when you are a minority, there is always going to be a very stiff penalty to pay for doing so. And that's the real tragedy I see coming out of what is happening right here. This was an opportunity to do something about the injustice of racial profiling. Mm. And we need to spend a little bit of time talking about racial profiling and what causes racial profiling and how you solve the issue of racial profiling. So racial profiling is basically an expectation of high criminality within a certain race. And when you have that expectation of high criminality, then there's going to be a higher arrest rate, a higher conviction rate. Uh, You're going to have more biased juries. You're going to have longer sentences as a result of that expectation that there is going to be a a higher criminal, uh, high level of criminality within a certain race. Along with that, then you will have a lower level of confidence in rehabilitation. So once again, people within that race are going to have longer sentences, stiffer sentences, etc., because there is less confidence that those people will, will rehabilitate than people of other races. Now, is that a solvable issue or is it simply a vicious cycle that will continue to spin forever? And the answer is that it is an eminently solvable issue and all it takes is in fact it takes usually less but a maximum of three generations to solve that issue let me give you an example here we go let's look at here in australia here in australia would we have a level of fear would, would you and i have any level of fear um or expectation of high criminality from people of greek italian sicilian or maltese uh, heritage in Australia. In Australia, no, none whatsoever at all. No, and you won't find that reflected in the judicial system. You won't find it reflected in uh, the police force, etc. No, but there once was a time when that was very much the case. Uh, when after the Second World War, we had a lot of immigration from these countries. We had a second generation that grew uh, out of these different nationalities that had a high level of criminality. 
and that created racial profile racial profiling amongst that people group but as the criminality died down the racial profiling vanished and so if you look at the african american community if the criminality uh, reduces then certainly the racial profiling is going to lag but it's going to disappear and this is what they need to learn you don't solve racial profiling by being a criminal and by an increase of criminal activity and the riots that are taking place in America at the moment sure we can all understand frustration but that is not the solution and Martin Luther King has shown over and over and over again that this is not the the solution to uh, dealing with these kinds of issues. I actually saw a quote from, from Martin Luther King over the weekend. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder the hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Okay, so you're probably not old enough to remember the LA riots. The LA riots were race riots, the same as what we're having ha- happening right now. Yep. And they did nothing to the African American community except increase the level of racial profiling. Martin Luther King turned the United States upside down in what he was able to accomplish because he did it through non-violent protest. Now is the time for protest, not for violence. Um, And we need to stop this cycle of violence. If you look at the United States, the African-American community makes up 14% of the population, but 47% of murders are committed by the African-American community. That's That's a long way out of kilter. And I am sure that those figures are skewed by racial profiling. Yeah. But not far enough to make a significant difference and this is why people are afraid or more afraid um, of certain races so it was non-violent protest is the only thing that has ever changed the united states historically as far as uh as race goes and racial profiling and we need to learn from that um and we need to remember that the United States is a country because we often look at the United States and they go, oh, everybody, all the, all the privileged white people in the United States are all just uh, anti, anti-black people. That is not the case because this is a country that was willing to elect a black president for two terms who was elected by white people. Exactly. And the, and the African-American community needs to recognize this and to remember this. Remove violence and remove criminality from the equation and people become people and people start to accept people again. Violence is not the key. Um, All it does is it reinforces racial profiling. And so basically what you've got is you've got a situation where when George Floyd was murdered, the African-American community had the opportunity to be victims and to protest and to make a difference but now they are no longer the victims. They have turned themselves into the perpetrators. And they are continuing the narrative that they are a portion of society to be feared. Now, let's face the reality. The police officer who murdered this guy has been fired, divorced, arrested and charged. Is there anything more that can be done in that case? 
No, there's nothing more that can be done in that case. Is there anything more that can be done in society? Yes. For sure. And that is to get rid of racial, racial profiling, and which probably caused this man's death. And the way to get rid of racial profiling is not to be a criminal yourself. Once again, this is an opportunity for the left for the left in the United States to show, to show some leadership, to step up to the plate and call for peacefulness rather than calling for violence. Yeah, and can I just say that not this isn't something that, that every African-American in, in America, over in America does. Absolutely, absolutely. There, I've seen two, two so many good friends incredibly in powerful States. examples over the weekend yes. where there was this guy who wore a shirt, uh, an African-American guy who wore a shirt with free hugs written on it. Yep. And he went around hugging all the, all the protesters. Yes. And then he stopped, he turned around, and he went over to the policemen and started giving all of them hugs too, showing that he stood between the lines. He stood between the line. Now, he was getting abuse thrown at him from the protesters. Mm-hmm. The, the policemen, they probably weren't thrilled about it, but I think they realized what he was trying to do. Oh, this guy's a hero. He needs a medal. Absolutely. That's the kind of leadership we need in the, we need in the United States right now. We need it here in this country too. That is real leadership. Exactly. And that is what will bring the violence to an end. That is what will create the end of racial profiling. That's how you solve the problem of racial profiling. There's been some other good images that I've seen, images of an African-American protester having prayer with a police officer on the front lines of the protest. I saw, another, white police officer. I saw another one of an African-American nurse standing in between the, the policemen or, the, or the, 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 yeah, the police and the riders, just making her mark. And this is one of the best images I've seen, is, and we've seen this over and over and over again, but you won't find it on mainstream media, is churches, mixed-race churches, rallying together to go and clean up the mess and to restore businesses after the rioters have gone through. This is what we need to see. This is what the media needs to be focusing on. They need to be focusing on the good news stories that are coming out of this rather than the bad news stories because there is so much negativity that is taking place. We need to have some positivity. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. John Ashton, who is part of the program uh, on once a month to talk about creation and evolution. Uh, Dr. John Ashton, welcome to the show. Oh, good morning, all. Now, we had a question come through for question of the day last week, and it came through on Thursday, and we knew that you were going to be here on Monday, so we thought we would, sol- we would save this question for you because it sounded like one that would be right up your alley. And the question reads like this. A friend of mine wants to know why we can't find any fossil record of giant humans. Uh, He says, I have no idea. And this came about as a result of a conversation that uh, Liam and myself were having about megafauna and megaflora that we do find in the fossil record. And so, Dr. John Ashton, I'm wondering, you're the author of the book uh, Evolution Impossible, amongst another, uh, a lot of other books on the subject of evolution, but why can't we find a fossil record of giant humans? Okay, well, uh, I, of course, you know, I don't know the answer, but the, um, we don't seem to find these, um, you know, giant uh, skeletons, although... We have um, examples of people living today who um, have, uh, you know, lived eight foot 
um, grown to a height of eight foot or, or thereabouts. Um, I haven't looked up what the highest, uh, tallest recorded man is, but I'm pretty sure it's well over eight feet. Um, I know there's um, uh, one of the actors in one of the popular TV series is about six foot ten. And there were, uh, for example, skeletons have been uh, found um, in, for example, ancient Rome of uh, men that were around six foot ten. Uh, the National Geographic report a few years ago um, on this. And, of course, the, these people would have towered, you know, quite a bit above uh, their, uh, their peers. But... Uh, of course, the Bible records also that, um, you know, there were some uh, kings during the time of, um, uh, you know, the uh, as the Israelites entered Canaan, there were reports of kings that were, you know, in the order of 12 foot high, this, this sort of thing. But why we, we don't find fossils of humans is... Um, um, I think we need to look in the in the from a couple of different angles. Um, and firstly, before we go into the fossil thing, there are a number of uh, false reports. Of course, there um, just a couple of years ago on popular media, there was a report of a giant fifteen foot human uh, skeleton found in Australia that was presented around. There were pictures and so forth. But in actual fact, the pictures were of um, uh, paleontologists, archaeologists digging up a, uh, a mammoth, the skeleton that was found in France, not far from Paris. So these sort of things happened. There were also, um, reportedly, you know, giant skeletons dug up, um, uh, somewhere else. I, I forget exactly where it was, but again, these were sort of photoshopped, um, reports. So they haven't actually found any, any giants skeletons of humans or of, of the sort of pre-flood sort of people um, anywhere. Now, one of the reasons we need to look at this, I, I guess, is that in terms of the fossil record, and we, we hear a lot about the fossil record, but most of the fossils we find are of marine organisms that live in fairly shallow water. Uh, they are most of the uh, creatures that we find. Now, we hear all a lot about the um, the dinosaurs that were buried in the uh, Morrison Formation, for example. Um, but this scenario of the Morrison Formation was was a sort of scenario where there seemed to be a massive amount of water dammed up for some reason, then suddenly it re was released and it buried these animals in 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 North America. Now. When we come to the uh, the flood situation, which was we know in around Mesopotamia there in the in the Middle East, we don't know how the people lived exactly, but we assume a lot of them would have been in cities uh, in that nearby area that maybe they hadn't you know spread all that far. And secondly, as humans as the as the flood waters rose, they probably gathered in in areas and then you know, drown. We're not necessarily catastrophically buried. Um, but we, do, we don't know those scenarios. The other thing is that when, uh, you know, people people drown, of course, they're, 
um, the bodies are quickly broken up, but also um, bones dissolve in, in seawater. Um, and so that's why, for example, with shipwrecks, um, we don't find human remains in shipwrecks that are more than about 50 years old. Uh, their bodies have uh, dissolved away. So, and this, uh, so the other thing is when we, we see in the fossil record, we get this impression of, of finding, uh, you know, millions of, uh, uh, fossils. So as I said, most of the fossils are of these marine organisms. When we come to the larger organisms, like, for example, some of the dinosaurs, um, we only have, for example, I think it was the Stegosaurus, there's only one, uh, complete head skeleton found of that particular species. We find lots of individual bones. Um, I remember reading one report where talking about a number of different um, ancient horse species and that are categorised as different species and this is the basis of finding like a single slightly different tooth, not as if we find complete skeletons. So the percentage of... Um, when people put together the skeletons that we see in museums and this sort of thing, they're often found from, when we find the bones, you often find just one or two bones in a place and then somewhere else they'll find more bones that they realise were associated in some way with this animal. Now, I'm not a paleontologist, so I don't understand fully how they put together all these skeletons, but it's not all that often that we find fully articulated skeletons, but we do in the Morrison Formation uh, find some fully articulated skeletons in some of the deposits in uh, China and also in South Africa, but not not that many compared to what you would imagine, assuming you know how many animals and, and so forth were living at that time. So. We, we, we just don't find those skeletons there. There, one of the ones that did cause quite a bit of a controversy was there were two skeletons found in, uh, Cretaceous. So Cretaceous limestone played down according to conventional dating 70 million years ago. Um, again, we, we, and we find a lot of, uh, the large marine, uh, fossils in that area. And there were two human fossils found um, near Moab in Utah uh, and reported in the literature, but an investigation found that those skeletons were actually found in sand below, a sanding-type material below the uh, Cretaceous material, and hence they were thought to be older, but in actual fact they could have been buried there. Um, there were other, a couple of other skeletons that were found I'm just trying to think of where the place was now. Um, certainly buried um, in in deposits, and one of these skeletons is actually in uh, one of the British museums. But again, this it's not uh, certain that this deposit was actually a flood deposit. It it could have been. Um, it's in the area that. Uh, they couldn't establish that it was necessarily a pre-flood deposit. It was probably a more recent deposit that these people happened to be caught up and buried in. They found three skeletons there. So, yeah, it's just one of those things that we, you know, we, we can't answer. But when we put in the big picture of things, we don't actually find a lot of skeletons of the higher order animal. So, Dr John Ashton, just... 
sort of working that through my mind while I've been listening to what you've been presenting there. One of the reasons could be that when God created the world, of course, he populated the world with animals. But when God created human beings, he only created two. And so therefore, you're going to have a smaller population of humans on the earth than you're going to have populations of animals. We have then very small amount of you know the higher order of animals that have been fossilized and so it would be yeah i guess like incredibly rare like finding a needle in a haystack i guess to find a human skeleton from before the flood would that be uh would that be an accurate summation of of some of the thoughts i I, I don't think um we would rarely find examples of people being fossilized today humans being fossilized today maybe somebody trapped um, in molten lava and uh, these sort of things. For example, uh, when we had um, the volcanic eruption that buried people in Pompeii, we had uh, an example there that would have led to fossilisation because people were buried under ash and, of course, they'd been able to dig up and excavate uh, Pompeii. So that sort of scenario. So for fossilisation to occur, you've got to have a, a catastrophic event that then buries the people very rapidly. In the case of uh, the flood, we know that God sent rain and also God said that he was going to destroy humans so, uh, at that particular time, except for those that chose his salvation, the ark. And so I guess that's our thing. God destroyed them um, in some way. Whether uh, and, we, and we don't know the details. We just know that there was a flood that, that came at that time and again people are pretty resourceful and unless they were trapped under a catastrophic condition like uh, buried the dinosaurs in the uh, US and some of these other places where obviously water as it rained was trapped and then suddenly released we don't necessarily know that that was a scenario that occurred in the population areas maybe the the waters just rose and um, whatever so it's one of those things we we don't know. There are lots of things that we don't know with regard to the uh, creation account and the flood account. But what we do know is that the flood account fits what we observe geologically, that we see all these layers all over the earth that were laid down underwater, that were deposited underwater. They're marine sediments that cover the earth in a thin layer. Secondly, the layers of the sediments in most places conformably lay on top of one another, that is, without signs of massive erosion. We have other areas, um, and many people have seen these if you travel around, like in Central Australia, this sort of thing, where you have uh, strata that are bent really sharply in curves and this sort of thing. Uh, the bending of those strata, which conventionally dated you know, across you know, long time periods, could not bend once they were rock. They can't bend like that. So again, we have all this evidence that these strata were laid down very rapidly in succession. They cover the entire earth. So when we look at what in science, the evidence out there is that the surface of the earth was destroyed and reformed by a flood by water. Yeah, that's that's, that's fantastic. Hey, um, Dr. John Ash, one quick question before we go... Um uh, many years ago, there was some interest in uh, the Paluxy River in the United States. I think it's in Texas, where they supposedly had dinosaur footprints and human footprints side by side. 
Uh, we certainly don't hear much about that anymore. What happened there? Um, yeah, so I think the the, the thing is the, the evidence wasn't all that um, clear that uh, these were, you know, genuine footprints or that they were indeed, you know, the human footprints next to the... Um, the uh, dinosaur tracks that were in the in the rock they were sort of a bit bit vague I think um, and you know there, there's been different accounts at different times uh, there was one in Germany that was reported in the literature of a, 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 a human skull fossilized in a coal seam another one of a gold chain found in a in a in a coal in a coal seam in the US in Pennsylvania. But the problem is that these, the, the coal one in Germany could have been just some sort of natural formation in the, in the, in the coal. It sort of looked like a, a human head. And these, these were discovered back in, oh, the 1800s. So they weren't sort of properly scientifically documented. And I think we have to be very careful that we don't try to, you know, substantiate the Bible with evidence that isn't, you know, clearly very strongly verified uh, scientific evidence that has checked and fits all the forensic data. Mm. As I said, uh, when we do look at the big picture, from a geology point of view, the evidence of the flood is worldwide and is very, very clear. And so we also have the flood uh, traditions from the different cultures around the world that corroborate the biblical account from many aspects, from the fact that people were evil in that time, the people were saved in a boat, there was a rainbow, there were only a few number of people saved, animals were involved, all these sort of uh, things in cultures found all over the world corroborate the biblical account. So we have, and that's data that we can examine today. These are the really good records that substantiate the biblical account, that we can trust the biblical account. Dr. John Ashton, thank you so much for joining us this morning here on Faith FM. You're welcome. Have a great day. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We have come time for Question of the Day. And the question today is a bit of a doozy. I must admit, I don't know the answer to this one. We are told Jesus died on a Friday and rose on the following Sunday. This makes two days and two nights. However, Jesus said uh, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, as the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Can we shed some light on that? Okay, so the Bible prophecy here in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40 is requires that Jesus is spends three days and three nights in the tomb. That is a total of 72 hours, not a second more or a second less. Indeed. Okay, so if we take this actually literally as it reads, then we're going to have a question as to when Jesus died. And because of that, a lot of people say, well, Jesus obviously died on Wednesday, not on Friday, because you've got to die on Wednesday to get those 72 hours in there. Others uh, posit that he died on Thursday. There's a few different theories as to when Jesus died. Well, the reality is that Jesus died on Friday and rose on Sunday, which only gives you the portion of Friday, Friday night, all of Saturday, Saturday night, and a very small portion of Sunday and none of Sunday night. 
And so it does not fulfill the prophecy that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. However, we have to ask ourselves the question, was the Bible written as a legal document or was the Bible written conversationally? Conversationally. Most definitely. And if, Liam, if I was going to say to you in three days' time from now, I'm going forward driving, would you expect that in exactly 72 hours from now to the second, I would be going forward driving? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. But <laughs> no, you might not be surprised, but <laughs> but I you w- might be surprised you're doing radio by yourself. If you so seventy two hours from now would be uh, tw- ten to nine on Thursday. It'd be eight forty eight. Eight forty eight. Eight forty eight. Eight forty eight. Eight forty eight on Sorry. on Thursday. Yeah. I would. I I I if you said three days, I'd sort of have a bit more of a conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You'd be like, oh, you'd be going after radio, right? Yeah. And we'd have that conversation together and be like, yeah, no, I might go before radio and we'll get someone to fill in for me, whatever it might be. Okay, we don't expect exactly 72 hours. And the moment that you go either less or more than 72 hours, the conversation goes from being legal language to being conversational language. And so if I say I'm going to do something in three days from now, um, it could be... You know, uh, and I could say I could be having a chat this evening and say I'll do something in three days. You are going to expect that I'm going to be doing something on Wednesday, sometime on Wednesday, and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. You see, the word day in the Bible includes the night. So Genesis chapter 1, the evening and the morning were the first day, evening and morning were the second day, evening and morning were the third day, etc. And so when you use the word day, it includes the night time as well. Okay, and to demonstrate this, Jesus clears this up in Luke chapter 13 and verse 32, where Jesus says, and he's speaking to Herod here, and he says, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Okay, that fits very, very nicely with today, that's Friday, tomorrow is Saturday, and the third day is Sunday. That does not require 72 hours to be three days and three nights. He continues on, Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. So here he speaks cryptically about his crucifixion, and he describes exactly what is taking place here, and he describes it as a period that is definitely less than 72 hours and only has two dark periods within that time period. Today, tomorrow, and the third day only has two dark periods within it. And that's how Jesus describes his crucifixion will take place. Okay, so people love to grab this one verse, Matthew 12, verse 40, and they say, well, Jesus must have died on Wednesday uh, because the Bible says three days and three nights in the tomb. However, the Bible does not define an exact 72-hour period. There are 10 times where the Bible says that Jesus will be born on the third day. Sorry, that Jesus will be uh, resurrected on the third day. That's less than three days. There are five times in the Bible where the Bible says that Jesus would be resurrected within three days. That's less than three days. There are two times in the Bible where the Bible says after three days, that's more than three days. And there is one verse that says three days and three nights. And for some reason, people love to grab onto that one verse to the exclusion of everything else. One more quick point. The Bible says the women did not embalm the body until Sunday 
And why would that be? Obviously, they rested on the Sabbath. But why did they wait until Sunday if Jesus died on Wednesday? That doesn't make any sense at all. They would have done it on Thursday um, or Friday. Uh, Any of those other days are available. And then finally we find that Jesus was revealed at the rising of the sun. That's Mark 16, verse 1 to 3. And so if you go 72 hours previous to that, then Jesus dies at dawn on Thursday. And that makes no sense whatsoever at all. The only thing that makes any sense is if Jesus died on Friday, rested in the tomb on the Sabbath, and rose on Sunday.